0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Mercatus podcast, Digital Grocer, episode 22. I'm your host Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. And joining me in the studio today is Mercatus's very own Senior Director of Marketing, Mark Fairhurst. Hey everyone. And at the board is Kevin Glenn. Hey, how's it going? I can't believe it's actually already December and we're literally 4 weeks away from Christmas. I think it's four weeks today. Four weeks today. And yeah. NRF is just around the corner right after that. And you know, in our last podcast, mm-hmm. Mark, we you know we talked to we talked to Rob Christian, who's the CEO Shop of Shop Hero. Hero. That's right. It's incredible the amount of outreach I got because of that episode. You know, a lot of the questions were people were really surprised that we'd actually go ahead and interview what is a perceived competitor in this space.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people misunderstand what the purpose is behind this podcast. Anyone who's heard you speak it's you know, we're almost embarrassed to talk about us. Right. It's more it's more about education and yeah. informing. And uh, I think having Rob on the show was emblematic of that approach, and he was genuinely touched um, yeah. for the invite.
0: Yeah, and it, it just goes back to what I said in the show, right at the intro of that episode, which was, it's really about helping retailers solve problems, really yep. more than anything. Yeah, right. Hey, so, big shout out to Rob for joining us on on that episode. You know, I got to tell you, this month, November's been crazy. We're literally on on the tip of the uh, U.S. Thanksgiving season. Mm-hmm. Spoke last week at the Kenyan Grocer Association, which was amazing.
1: That was unexpected. It, it was, you know, first of all to be invited out of the blue, and then to receive such a warm welcome from the audience. We, yeah. I think we had over three hundred ninety-six. Yeah, retailers, and <laughs> <laughs> uh... so it's a precise number: <laughs> <laughs> and a half. Uh, retailers and CPGs in the room. It was yeah. um, a good event.
0: Yeah, we met some really cool retailers yeah. and some retailers that I actually didn't even know were out there in the yeah. Canadian landscape. But I got to tell you, if you think November was busy, uh, December is going to be even in, even more crazy. You know, we have a lot of stuff coming up at Barclays in New York. Mm-hmm. Then I'm off to LA for a bunch of stuff that's going on out there. So it's going to be amazing. Mark, did you see the news of Loblaw's this week announcing their marketplace strategy?
1: Huge news. Huge. It's massive, and, yes. and they were working on it for the what, the last twelve to eighteen months.
0: Yeah, it's unclear if they're working with like a partner, or like a Miracle mm-hmm. or someone else. But considering that Loblaw's is a, an SAP shop uh, traditionally, I would I would suspect that Miracle is probably involved. Kudos on them. This goes back to what you and I have been talking about for the last few years, which is the whole reverse Amazon model. Why wouldn't retailers that have a, an extremely high household penetration rate not do the exact same thing? Right. I mean, they, they've already got the eyeballs. Hundred percent
1: you how do you get a different product assortment in front of that audience
0: now we also saw amazon make a massive announcement mm-hmm. that they're going to be opening their grocery stores in the california market any sense what that may look like
1: i think a lot of the conjecture is that it'll be about 30 to 40,000 square feet they're all saying it's going to be cashier-less mm-hmm. using some of their go technology all right i also think it's some of the analysts are, are anticipating that it will be a different it, Physical format internally, so broken into a vertical elevation with different stores, uh, different elements within the stores.
0: It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think they've already pegged the one location. It's in a suburb of LA. Hopefully, we'll see it soon. Mm -hmm. I don't think they've made a formal announcement when we can expect it in uh, 2020. Now, a few weeks ago, we did something pretty cool with our friends over at Radius Networks, Mm -hmm. right? They hosted an amazing webinar along with Rayleigh's, Google, Ships hosted by Jeff Baskin. Jeff is just such a gentleman. Um, and it was really kind of cool. We talked about emerging technology and innovation in, predominantly in grocery retail. And we kind of went specifically after how to make omnichannel successful and how to really compete against uh, Amazon and Walmart. Now, during the webinar, and this was neat, some of the standout advice came from Rayleigh's. Predominant player in the California market, just amazing stores. My brother lived on Knob Hill in San Francisco. I got to visit some of their locations in and around town. She's always blown away by the familiarity that it had and the, the warmness of the, the associates. So we figured today would be really cool to kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of the subjects uh, that were kind of raised during the webinar. So we've asked Zach, Zach Wilson from Raley's, to join us. Now, for those of you who don't know who Zach is, He's been with Railys for almost ten years. In fact, I think nine point six years with uh with Raleigh's. He is the e-commerce manager. And Zach, thank you so much for joining the show.
2: No, thank you guys for having me on.
0: Now, Zach, for the audience who may have never heard of Railys, I mean we have a pretty broad international audience for our podcast. Can you give us a little bit of history on Raili's and what are its current e-commerce offerings?
2: Yeah, so Rayleigh's is a a family-owned grocery store here in Northern California that started back in 1935 and basically contains the market of Northern California, Bay Area, and Northern Nevada. Where we're at as far as e-commerce goes is is kind of an interesting story. We started our e-commerce back in 2003 um, in a little store in Venetia and just went through many iterations of platforms and process over the time. And then in 2016, made the decision to to jump feet first into this whole e-commerce fast-paced market. And we expanded out to additional 36 stores. And then since then, we've grown it to 113 locations out of our 126 operating locations. And that's for Click & Collect. And then we decided to get even crazier and expanded and added a delivery by third-party companies in 87 of our locations that serve almost every market in which we operate in. Um. In addition to that, we also went down the path of marketplace exploration and partnerships with Instacart, DoorDash, and another company that we're getting ready to launch here pretty soon to add that Uber convenience factor for our customers. And then another interesting piece that we have at really Rayleighs is we have this new brand of store that we just started two years ago called Market Five One Five with the extreme focus on organic, natural education. That's the name 515. And we have the opportunity in that location to really test and vet out new technology, new process, and just implement some of the things that we're going to be talking about a little bit later in this podcast.
0: That's great. So, 03, now you're in knee deep in it, and I'm sure you've seen tons of things. Can you share with the audience some of the click and collect challenges?
2: Yeah. So, when we made the decision to jump feet first in in 2016, we decided that we were going to use the existing store foot- footprint that we have today. And it's a very challenging experience, especially when you're trying to drive efficiencies and product availability in a very high-cost operating scenario. So the biggest challenges that, that we faced were around store design. The other piece of that was the labor inside the store. Inventory, that's... Qualitative and quantitative, the technology and organizational transformation. We're a family owned company from 1935 um, and are slow to to come around to technology. So it was a a big leap and bounds on that. And then once again, the overall cost to do business. When we look at what we're trying to offer as far as that shopper experience inside of our store, but also still provide that high quality personalization online and a very operating expensive area, it just double-folded the whole cost to do business.
0: Now, do you see any form of negative in-store shopping experiences? And if you do, can you share some examples?
2: Yeah. So, there's been some, I would say, good challenges that have happened from our expansion, and and we're lucky for the growth factors that we have in our e-commerce area. Um, But it hasn't been met unchallenged for the customer experience inside store. So once again, we, we go back and we talk about the store design aspect, and now we have a ton of personal shoppers that are shopping for what we call e-carts, Rayleigh's online shopping orders that are clogging up the aisles at some of our higher volume stores. And that impacts that customer travel through and, and time inside of the store. In addition to that, with the launch of marketplaces, that adds that additional customer impact, store travel impact as well. So it's overall perceived as an okay experience now, but as we continue to grow, is it going to be acceptable in the future? The other piece that I would say has been a big challenge as well is the parking lot experience. I mean, when customers pull it up to your stores, they want to have the best experience possible and fighting for a parking space inside of some of our smaller shopping centers is going to be detrimental, especially. When we have delivery companies and marketplace shoppers coming in and, and taking up those spaces as well. And then the last piece that we saw the, the biggest challenge from is when we touched on it a second ago labor. It's very unpredictable when we have orders that come in. So sometimes we have to pull people from other departments and it takes away from that customer experience that we want to make available for our customers. So having that flexibility, but sacrificing it to what extent on that customer inside store shopping has been also a big challenging factor.
0: Yeah, those are amazing examples. And I always find that when we work with, you know, certain retailers, whether it's in North America, whether it's in Europe, and you know, quite frankly, anywhere on on the planet, it's always striking a balance. And you know, Mark, you and I talk about this. It's this balance between customer centricity and doing what's right for the customer, but what I would say fiscally responsible, which makes fiscal sense mm-hmm. for a retailer. Well, well for a re- I mean, right?
1: Retailers always have to keep their eye on on the margin. Yeah, and especially like, in grocery retail. Yeah, and, and Zach Zach mentioned it directly. It's this predictability factor, right? So, how do you ensure that you've got predictability in your purchases online and in store without Adversely affecting the margin overall.
0: Yeah. And the question we always ask our retailers, and and Zach, we'd be interested in getting your opinion on this, is innovation and and a strong roadmap a cure to some of these challenges in your world?
2: I would agree with that, especially when we look at the here and the now, and we look at what's coming in the, the near term future and the long term future to maintain success. Things are changing so rapidly, but I always say you have to have a plan to execute at the high level now, but also know that what you're doing today is not going to necessarily be what you do 24 months from now or even three years from now or five years from now. So go through and and look at some of the innovations that some of the other companies are doing and humble yourself to know that you're not always going to do it the best in class. So piggyback off of, of what others are doing and executing on, but also know that financial responsibility inside of a, a family-grown, family-owned and operated grocery store is also at a high concern. So you can't afford to have too many misses. Go in with a strong plan and be willing to adapt that plan, as, especially as new technology is vetted out. It seems like every day now. And then just be prepared for the next five years on, on what you're going to do as far as your strategy goes.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, it's also it's also challenging in this day and age in grocery retail to be super iterative, meaning let's get a minimum viable product out there to market when the reality is table stakes have been, the bar has been set very high in certain tech spaces mm-hmm. within the concentrate of grocery retail. Now, Zach, like when you look out into the future and you think about innovations that are coming down, what gets you jazz what do you think some of these retailers that are in your market or in the us in general may be thinking of implementing
2: yeah so when we talk about e-commerce specifically some of the 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 things that i get excited for is around this automation and around this dark store concept one of the things that we have to make sure that we maintain is putting that customer first and that not necessarily is your e-commerce customer but it's also your in-store customer they're a very valuable customer for you so when i look at the automation or the automated facilities that companies like kroger with Akado are trying to stand up and take off fulfillment centers are doing that ultimately is going to be the the key i believe to lowering your operating costs some of the other things that i believe are going to be important as well is having that inventory transparency so into your supply chain letting customers know what products you actually have inside your stores at all times that way you're not disappointing with the out of stocks or the substitutions that you're going to get from time to time. The other piece to, to look at is along the lines of automation, but also how do you get the products to the consumer faster? So looking at that development of third party relationships um, is going to be key, especially moving forward in the market in which we operate in Israelis here in Northern California.
0: We've talked a lot about internally here at Mercatus, the whole reverse Amazon model. Meaning that since groceries has such a high household penetration rate, I think last time I looked at the numbers, it was north of 96%. Mm-hmm. Meaning there's a continuous <clears throat> influx and churn of customers coming in much faster than you would see in apparel, much more than RX, much more than home improvement and so on. So. Why not go ahead and layer in the ability to do drop shipping, which is essentially the ability to sell items that you don't carry in your inventory out to your customers, and the retailer would take a margin of that. It's a margin that's significant, can be significantly higher than food. Is that something in your world, Zach, is appealing to the grocery retailers out there today?
2: I believe it is. Uh, It's an untapped resource for some retailers, including us, on certain levels. But to your point, a store can only hold so much product inside its four walls, and inside of that market, the market in which you operate that store, you're going to have a plethora of, of customers on different levels of food knowledge and food wants. So, being able to lean on these third-party dropship companies to provide our customers with more product availability and differentiating product, I think is is a big factor and moving forward. And Amazon does a fantastic job at capitalizing on on these different offerings. But I think grocery retailers have an opportunity as well. Most of the grocery retailers have built that trust in the consumer that comes in and shops inside their store. So when they know that a product is backed by Rayleigh's, they know that they can trust it a little bit more than something that may be coming as a recommendation from Amazon. Ultimately, to the point of margins and and costs, yes, it it isn't going to be a higher margin product that you put out there, but it is going to help control your internal labor and margin costs by utilizing somebody that focuses solely on fulfilling those types of items and getting it to the consumer faster.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, but I I remember, Mark, I remember years ago, Topco tried this, this endless aisle concept.
1: And just for those who don't know, Topco is essentially a buying group for grocers.
0: Yeah, there are mm-hmm. probably fifty members today. Yep. and they do an amazing job in mm-hmm. terms of helping their members. Remember, years ago they tried this, and it became, it made a lot of sense, but it became a cha- where it kind of became a challenge is how do you deal with returns because some of these products were being fulfilled centrally by Topco, but being sold through the various dot coms, and then how do you deal with returns? When I compare. Uh, a Loblaws that's gone into the marketplace solution, does it make sense? I think to a certain extent it does. Because if you go into a super center, superstore today, you'll have the Joe Fresh line, you'll have the President's Choice extended lines, mm. their, their extensive HBA section and so on. So I, th- I think at some point they also did furniture. So I think there's a lot of knowledge at corporate to be able to do some of those things and to bring the vendors into the marketplace. I think that becomes a little bit of a challenge for a smaller regional retailer, and I think it needs to be more curated. And I think the technologies that are coming to the table, they need to come in with the strong partnerships to be able to support the retailer to bring that quote unquote list of curated products. Zach, in your world, do you see this as becoming kind of a mainstay? Is it a short term or a long term solution in terms of the competitive competitiveness of some of the regional players out there?
2: Um, I believe it's a long-term play when it comes to marketplaces, especially as we continue to talk about consumer insight and, and listening to what the customer wants. And you brought up a good point of bringing in these, these third-party companies inside the store uh, specifically, where you have an opportunity to make it more of an event-based and a need-to-go based shopping experience. But the same can be conveyed online. So, If you're partnering with a company such as drinks is a a good example, and they have an offering of something that may be popular, which you don't carry, your customer is going to know that they can easily access that as a a one-time shop from your location. Because when we look at market penetration and we look at market share, one of the things at least we notice is that consumers are venturing out away from our stores and they're not necessarily loyal to do their entire grocery shopping trip with us. So as a marketplace provider or working with marketplaces, I think you can leverage the fact that you can do basically a bulk majority of your shop using one retailer through one retailer's website and, and get the products in which you need in a timely fashion.
0: Now, you talk about customers venturing out. What's your sense in terms of what your shoppers really want when it comes to click and collect?
2: We have a- opportunity to listen to our customers very closely, being in the hyper-competitive market in which we are. And I go back to my Fs of what the customers want. So the customers are really asking for products to be fresher. They want it to be faster. They want to get it faster than what they do today. They want a frictionless shopping experience, both online and in-store. They want it to be convenient. They want it to be fair-priced, and they want the experience to be familiar. When we talk back through all of these things, these regional retailers have an advantage around it being fresher, because the product is farm to fork, essentially, for here in Sacramento. Whereas some other retailers have to have it shipped in a little bit further away. The convenience factor and faster, I think, is the real determining factor. We live in an extremely busy world, and it's only getting busier. So the time grab for an individual customer is even shorter than it was before. So they want the quality, they want it faster, they want the products now. But they also want it to reminisce of the days in which they came into the store and shopped. So really transferring that personalized shopping experience online or at the curbside when you come out to greet the customer, really driving down that wait time, making that experience fast, making it rememberable, because let's admit it, the impression in which you make on that customer in that one to two minutes that you physically see them means more than it used to in the past. You don't have that opportunity to to win them back like you did before.
0: Well, that's so true. And so when you think about all the technologies that you've implemented in the last little while, how do you get the associates on board?
2: Oh, change management is huge (laughs) (laughs) moving forward in in technology. Because the technology is changing so rapidly, one of the things that you have to maintain is that constant communication with the teams. That are utilizing it and getting that feedback because developing that technology in a vacuum only leads to more stress and l- lower efficiencies and more customer complaints so ultimately what it comes down to is that technology has to be simple to use and it has to be able to be trained very quickly on and understand why they're being trained on it and how it's going to benefit them in in the long run but also just dis- describing the benefits of the technology for the consumer letting them know and understand that this is something the consumers demanding and how it's going to make their jobs easier. And then once again, just driving home the fact that you roll out technology, you have to adjust it. You have to continue to adapt and make sure that it's the right technology. And then being able to fail quickly on that technology and roll back and roll something out else new builds that trust that you're listening for that communication, that feedback from both the consumer and the customers.
0: That's great advice. Now kind of our last question is, you know we asked this of all of our guests. You know when you think of your space and click and collect, what words of advice would you give to our listeners that are retailers out there?
2: The, the biggest thing that, I, as far as advice that I can go, kind of comes in twofold. The first is, remember why we're doing the business, and who comes first? It's the customer. You have to center everything around your customer, your clientele, and the areas in which you operate in. Don't go out and make decisions based on things that you believe will be good returns in five years, because you have to take care of the here and the now. Which leads to the second point of, make sure you have a plan. You wanna be very concise about this plan, you want to be very transparent about this plan as well. And it builds that trust, not only in your store team members, but also in your consumers, when they can see releases happening, upgrades happening, new technology, changes in, in the field, the vibes, the smells of the things in which you guys are, are building and, and putting out there. And then ultimately what it comes down to is be humble. Know that you're gonna have to lean on partnerships with other companies. Know that you're going to have things that don't always work out for the betterment of the company, but be able to say, we're going to shift gears and and move on to something else. Because one thing is consistent about this and that's the speed in which things are changing and evolving. Thanks to Amazon and Walmart, of course, but just know for the regional players out there, make sure that you execute on that plan and keep the consumer on the forefront of all your thoughts and initiatives.
0: That's great. Zach, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. How can our listeners get a hold of you?
2: You can find me on LinkedIn um, at Zach Wilson 369021102. Once again, that's on LinkedIn. And that's ZAC WILSON 369021102.
0: Great. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And don't forget to download our next episode which I think Mark we're recording this in New we, York.
1: We, yeah, we will have another episode um, record with, you know, Jermaine to this topic. Yeah. on one of the topics on uh, marketplaces. We're actually going to be in the New York studio at that point. <laughs> That's right. That's fantastic, and Mark, how do people get a hold of us? www.mercatus.com. All of our contact channels are at the bottom of our on the footer of our website. Wait, peace everyone.